This is Consumed, a podcast featuring casual conversations with eaters, drinkers, thinkers, and makers around California Central Coast and beyond. I'm Jamie Lewis, and this is my 10th season, which means I've done 100 episodes. Let's celebrate, shall we? I want to start by saying thank you to a couple sponsors. First, I'm always grateful for Ranchos de Anaveros Wines in the Santa Maria Valley. Did you ever see the movie Psalm? Remember the young blonde guy who eventually became a master sommelier? His name is Ian Cobble, and he recently had this to say about James Anaveros' Native 9 2013 Pinot Noir. This wine left an indelible impression on me renewing my faith in California Pinot Noir's ability to age. Had I tasted it blind, I might have easily mistaken it for a polished and much more expensive Moray Saint-Denis wine from a Premier Cru vineyard. The 2013 Native 9 from James Onoveros' Heritage Vineyard overlooking the Santa Maria Valley is a wine any Burgundy producer would be proud to have made. This is high, high praise, my friends. Taste Ranchos de Onoveros wines yourself at the station in Los Alamos or learn more at ranchosdeonaveros.com. Thanks also to Slow Life Magazine, the publication that delights in sharing the spirit of San Luis Obispo, California. I'm considering writing about Hawaiian food restaurants for my next food column in the magazine, like Shave Ice at Big Al's in Avila Beach, Hawaiian Plate Lunches at Red Dirt Coffee House in Arroyo Grande, and Span Musubi at Kilo Kilo Brewing in Paso Robles. Want to learn more? Pick up Slow Life on newsstands at Boo Boo Records and Barnes & Noble, or subscribe at slowlifemagazine.com. Michael Palmer is the owner of McConnell's Ice Cream in Santa Barbara, along with his wife, Chef Eva Ein. They're not the original owners, though. McConnell started in 1949 with Gordon and Ernestine McConnell. The brand was beloved already, but when Michael and Eva took over, the vibe and the quality hit its stride. Today, people revere McConnell's ice cream in its several scoop shops across Southern California and in fine grocers all over the country. We talked about his background in the wine industry, which he is still very much a part of, the industrial food complex, and how working with something as perishable as ice cream can keep him up at night. Here's Michael Palmer. So maybe give, you know, the average listener who has probably had Eureka Lemon and Marion Berry mm-hmm. a lot. Because mm-hmm. um, I know up in Slow, people care a lot about McConnell's. They really do. They? do. Oh, yeah. That's, you know, that's, that's so great because when we, you know, we're a family-run company. And all of our competitors on a national level are private equity owned, mm. which means effectively they're in a different business than we are. We're, you know, they're in the market share business. So they're just like the Borg in Star Trek. They're just opening up stores everywhere yeah. so that they can build it up and sell it. Whereas we're in the we better be profitable or we go out of business business. So the market share business versus the we better be profitable, or we go out of business business. are ve- It's very different. And plus, mm. we're the only one of all those competitors who are a manufacturer. Because you know McConnell's background is a dairy, yeah. and so we're making the product for a lot of our competitors now. So it's a much more complicated business from that perspective, but also from an actual operational perspective, mm-hmm. but also from a market perspective. So when we were to get back to your to, to you saying that people care about McConnell's and Slow, um, when we were looking around at like where we could potentially put stores, you know McConnell's has this many many decade relationship with the dairy 
uh, school at Cal Poly. Yes, of course. And we thought, well, that's a natural place, and we could like we we really care about the Central Coast, obviously, mm-hmm. as a brand, and so of course we should have one in Slow. Um, but it's always, you know, it costs a lot to open a store, and we're yeah. not a super, you know, we're not a wealthy family or wealthy company, and so every time you do this, it's a it's a huge risk. Of course. So to so it's nice to hear that people actually care. They do. Yeah. They fully care. Yeah. And now, as far as a scoop shop goes, versus like you know, selling retail at California Fresh, which mm-hmm. everybody loves California Fresh. I don't know what the perception, you know, I don't know which customer is more into this versus that, but McConnell's is a brand that is appreciated there for sure. I mean, that's great. it's great to hear. I mean, I think this has happened in the food business as a whole, but I think tastes have elevated. Uh, appreciation for better products with better ingredients mm-hmm. has, has, has happened over the last while, and it's touched our business like most others in the food in, in the various food categories, um, the the grocery retail customer is a different. You're right, is a different customer mm-hmm. than the scoop shop customer, largely because if you're going to buy, you know, an expensive pint of ice cream for your house, you're going to be a little bit careful about that. And yeah. when you're in a store that's got thirty something flavors, you yeah. can try. And so it's a very different customer, and you you just can't market. It was a tough lesson to learn for us because we want to do the fun, crazy flavors, and that doesn't always win the day in the grocery. In the business. grocery, yeah. So that's one thing that. stands out to me in terms of the folks who like McConnell's a lot of the attraction yes of course is quality but I think also the uh, the different concoctions and Mm -hmm. the the style of the concoctions is fresh and lively and um, it just feels premium did all did you inherit any of the flavors or did you (coughs) invent them all so so there's it feels to me like there's two questions there so the thing that drives McConnell's, um, and there are all these different brands out there now, let's say three or four national brands who are, I guess, technically our competitors um, at the sort of, for lack of a better term, the artisan range. Yeah. And, you know, some of those brands are driven by novelty. Like, what's the craziest flavor we can, yes, we can right. put out? And then others are driven by whatever they're driven for. And one of the things that Eva and I agreed on really from the start was that we would be driven by deliciousness. <laughs> and if we got press, that'd be great, but we're not going to make super foodie or esoteric flavors just for the point of getting press. Yeah. Like there are brands that do that and good for them, but that's just not who we're about. That's not who the brand is about. Uh, and sometimes we win on both accounts, mm-hmm. but so we're driven really by quality and deliciousness. I don't know, frankly, if, if consumers, even our core consumers appreciate the qualitative differences from McConnell's versus these other brands. Probably I hope not. they, I hope they do, but it's very hard Not to the extent. Yeah. Probably. It's really hard in ice cream, but I will assure you that that's what drives our brand. Um, what was your second question was, um, uh, oh, did we inherit some of these? Yes, right. Yeah. So that's, that's a big, big answer. So, and I'll try to be uh, efficient. Um, so we did inherit a, you know, a book, um, of flavors. But one of the things we did when we came in was, you know, during your due diligence, you really go soup to nuts over everything. And so um, we really, we looked at every ingredient. We looked at every recipe. Most everyone is changed from what it was, Mm -hmm. you know, the better part of a decade ago. I mean, one of the things people have spoken to me before and said, you know, um, and often and said, you know, the greatest, you know, like, it's so great that you didn't change it. You didn't mess it up. Like, you <laughs> took on this, at the time, 65-year-old brand, and right. thank God you kept it the way it was. And and I always kind of listened to that 
And, and then I kind of laugh in the back of my head and cry a little bit too because of the pain it's been <laughs> and the hard work. Because the reality of the situation is that uh, we've changed virtually everything. Mm-hmm. And yet the big chore for us was to make it feel, taste, seem like we've done nothing at all. And I think that's actually the, the, the best thing we've done with McConnell's yeah. is, is literally make people feel like, like we've done nothing at all. That's an, that's a trick. And that that's well, a, I mean, no, no, and yeah, I mean yeah. that like in a. Yeah. That's a, you know, the hardest things to do were the one making it look effortless. Yeah, I yeah. Guess. I, well, I don't even. I don't think there was an intention to make it look effortless or try to trick anyone. I think it was most people come into an older brand. What happens with most brands, especially ones that are going under, is they get picked off for not a lot of money, and then they get watered down and turned to crap. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that for better or for worse. Our approach was let's make this like we when it's good we all knew growing up with it it's the best yeah. but it was inconsistent for instance how do we make this every day the best product in the business and so we reinvested and then reinvested again and then again mm-hmm. and so I think this product is not to defame the old product because it was a great product then but I think that we have made it you know that much better and that much more consistent and reinvested in equipment and stuff that, you know, in, in an older brand that's being run by people who've run it for many, many decades, maybe isn't thought about as much because they have other concerns. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, look, I mean, again, I think I think the fact that um, we've been lucky enough to make people think that it's exactly as it was yeah. is a great thing, especially for the people who've been fans for decades. Yeah. Um, but we've also, you know, simultaneously been able to, uh, you know, invite new customers in who might not have been as persuaded, uh, persuaded strongly to, inv- to, to come in were it not for the newer things we did, yeah. you know, um, and we kept it consistent, you know? Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I mean, I, I think that it, I- it's been a lot of work. Yes, an absolute I get that. ton of work. I get that. Yeah. I think. See also, this gray hair? Like I had no gray hair five years ago. Was like, it only five years ago? No, it's been better part of ten. It's been about nine years, nine okay. plus years. But in the last five years, I mean, just with the economy roiling and everything, yeah. it's and then COVID, it's been stressful. For, for sure. sure. Yeah. Yeah, and coming out of the economy roiling and going into yeah. business and then it roiling again. Yeah. So it's and it's not. I mean, ice cream's a penny's business. It's not the hedge fund business or private equity. This is. It's a doggy dog business, you know? You come from a background we were talking about earlier with wine, and it, it didn't occur to me to ask you this until just now. How, I mean, how does the wine industry, how does the wine business differ from the ice cream business? Well, I mean, the aspects, margins and. Yeah, I mean, aspects of the wine business are, are uh, couldn't be more different, but. I happen to be the dumbest guy in the room because I have a wine program that's very high end and I have an ice cream product that's very high end. Mm-hmm. And and people who've known me whole, my whole life would tell you that there's nothing strange about that because that's just who I am. Mm-hmm. Like even when I was a little kid, like that's I had this like I want to be that up there on the mountain. Looking I don't want to be that. The tall yeah, guy. right, right. So so look, I mean when you sell expensive wine and expensive relatively expensive ice cream, you deal with um, uh, you know, a you deal with a consumer who has more spending power, but there's less of them, and so you've got to you've got to mind your p's and q's. So that's how that's how that's sort of my positioning in both wine and ice cream. As far as similarities in the business, I mean, we don't make the most expensive wine on earth, that's for sure, or the most expensive ice cream on earth, but we make, as I already said, you know, two high end products, mm-hmm. and um, I mean, I think that 
my, for myself, speaking for myself, not that they'd want me to be speaking for them, but and my wife and the people that work for us, both on the wine side uh, and McCall side, you know, these are both very small companies relative mm -hmm. to the overall wine business and the ice cream business. I mean, we are specs, mm -hmm. but I think all the people who work in both these companies and certainly myself, you know, we are killers. Like we want to churn out the best products in our business or mm -hmm. the best we can. Yeah. So that's always my goal. You know, yeah. I mean, I always, I used to think that in any given category, whether it's food or cars or luggage or what have you, um, that there was always a place for the best in any category. I'm not sure I believe that anymore because I think Americans are still used to being fed literally or figuratively crap. Hmm. And most Americans, unfortunately, you know, I, let me let me digress for just a second. Yeah. I, was, I was in France many, many, many years ago. Uh, I think it might have been my honeymoon or shortly thereafter with my wife. And we were in a taxi. And um, I don't know why this pops into my mind, but... We were talking to this taxi driver because you always, you know, back when taxis existed before yeah. Uber. So yeah, I'm dating myself. But um, I remember talking to the taxi driver and and he turned around at one point and he said, you know, the difference between Americans and the French. And I, I was ready for like a big diatribe because, mm -hmm. you know, hopefully there are more than one. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, he said, you know, in 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 France, oh, in, in, in America, they eat McDonald's, uh, the poor people and the rich people eat caviar. In France, the rich people eat caviar and the poor people just eat less caviar. Yeah. And that's not the way it is in America. No. You know, and so it's good that overall the quality of food, I know I'm rambling now, but no, the quality of the quality of food has gotten overwhelmingly better mm -hmm. um, over the years. People are much more cognizant of good ingredients and and spending their money on good stuff. And I'm not talking about ice cream or wine, obviously. Mm -hmm. I just mean mm -hmm. sustenance. Um, and I hope that continues. Um, but, you know, it's hard for, for families to make it. It's pretty upside you know? down. Yeah. I mean, the people who need it just, I mean, gosh, want to talk about digressing, you know, <laughs> agribusiness, the fact that we set out to feed people well, conveniently, that how that all backfired, um, you know, the 40s, 50s, leading up to the, um, you know, the modern modernization of yeah. food at the in the home yeah um microwaves convenience stores it's in some ways such a wonderful story that you can get something like sushi in an am pm yeah. when you're you know getting gas that's incredible if you really think about that that's amazing it's also so sad that the food that's the most available for the people who need good food the most mm -hmm. is so poor quality and so cheap yeah so you, yeah. I mean, you're really riding a, you're riding a tightrope, walking a tightrope with that because, of course, you want it to be accessible. You want anything to be accessible to people who need it the most. But why, why does it have to be so uber processed, so so, um, you know, carb fat heavy? Anyway, I sound like I'm in the White Tower right now, but it is a conundrum. You look, it, it's it's about education. It's it's about culture, and it's finally obviously about economics. And, you know, um, not to make this be about McConnell's, but, you know, McConnell's was started in 1949, which is the advent of the industrial food complex. True, yeah, and, I about and, 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 and And Gordon McConnell did everything in the face of that. And now to get off McConnell's, I mean, look, the, the, with the beginnings of the industrial food complex and the rise of modern supermarkets and the need to have shelf-stable um, uh, products for people to eat and the decentralization of, of, of that whole world and moving away from agricultural and, and back to cities and urban environments. I mean, it's like, you know, it happened and then big business happened. Yeah. 
and and the, on the cultural side, the education of people. I mean, I, I agree with you. It is it's sad thing, but then it, it's equally sad. And I hope I'm not showing my politics now, but it's equally sad that we keep that system going. Yeah. You know, yeah, I mean, that's, I'm with you. I mean, I'm sure you've like read Michael Pollan stuff and mm-hmm. I certainly have. And I mean, that's just touches on that, but it touches profoundly on that, both the books and his films and many other people's right. films. And uh, we, we perpetuate that system every day. We have only ourselves to blame for it. Mm. Yeah. Well, I think uh, in some ways it's the cost of evolution. I mean, just, you know, people are well-meaning i try to assume that everybody has good intentions and everybody's doing the best they can i think that this one had really gnarly unintended consequences most definitely for the environment too yes right yeah right well okay so we're getting depressing let's talk (laughs) i want to know about about ice cream now i want to talk about you actually so (laughs) okay you grew up in northern california no i grew up in southern california my family is my both sides of my family are from northern california going back a long time um but i grew up in los angeles um, I went to school there, and then I went to school on the East Coast for college. And then I lived in England for a while and on the East Coast for a bit. And then uh, I moved back to Los Angeles for work and in pretty short order decided I didn't really want to live in Los Angeles anymore. And uh, I kind of knew at the time the opportunity costs that would come with moving away from a major city because I was pretty young. But I had always loved Santa Barbara, mm-hmm. and um, I knew I kind of wanted to make wine. And I knew in the wine up here, varietal, varietally speaking, was what I wanted to make, which was Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. How old are we talking when you're I was in wine? my uh, mid to late 20s. That's pretty so, early. So I mean, late really. 20s, late 20s when I moved here. And um, yeah, and so, and I, fi- I finally full-time moved here about 30. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, so, it, you know, I, I took it for a while and I really, you know, it's tough because Santa Barbara, going back to what we were talking about before, is really a service, service economy. Yeah. And uh, there's not a lot of high paying jobs. Um, and so I really was able to live here because I made my living on the road for two to three weeks a month for many, many years. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of uh, when I was home, I would be doing what I wanted to do. And when I was at work, I, was do- I would be doing what allowed me to do what I wanted to do. Yeah. So, and that's how you, know, you find a way if you want to mm-hmm. do it. And, uh, and then McConnell's uh, happened through a whole yeah. Strange turn of events. Did you see so, it coming? Did you ever picture? Um, well, <laughs> uh, laughingly, <clears throat> I used to take my stepdaughter to McConnell's on Sunday nights and said, you know, someday when she was little, you know, some way we should buy this. And she'd, of course, say, yeah. And then years later, we did, which was the cruel joke, oh, I guess. Oh, that's too funny. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, what happened was that in, you know, the, the fires that have that have hit California over the past decade or so they the the newest wave the most recent wave of those started with a fire in santa barbara in about in late late 2008 Mm -hmm. and that was the tea fire here in town here in santa barbara and uh, our house was lost in that fire and so that was mm, i think november something november 13th or 15th i think of of 2008 and at the time i was uh, i was actually on a trip i was i was leaving for a trip that night it was a thursday night and i saw the fire spark on the hills behind our house and our house was gone in probably 30 minutes. Oh, yeah, my it was. Gosh. And I, I mean, literally, I got my dog out and my car and a pair of underwear, which somehow ended up in my hands. I don't know how that happened. Wow. And 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 my computer. And um, so off the back of that, I had been thinking for a long time about leaving my job because it was, you know, it was a grind two to three weeks a month on the road. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people I was in my late 30s. 
uh, or 40 maybe, close to 40, maybe 38. And, um, and I think a lot of people, they get to a certain place in their lives and let's say they have a mortgage and they have young kids and they have responsibilities and they're on a track, let's say career track, and they stay on that track even though they maybe aren't particularly happy with that track. Yeah. And I was one of those people. And, um, and then, but most of those people never jump off that track. <laughs> and I always say like, I kind of got pushed off that track mm -hmm. with a fire. And in the wake of that, um, you know, I kind of decided to focus on the winemaking and about a, maybe two years later, two to three years later, I was in the middle of that and kind of finishing out because some of the some of what I was doing with work took a few years to kind of segue out of, mm -hmm. and uh, and so I was in the in the practice of doing that when I found out from a friend that McConnell's was being sold, and um, I spoke with the owner who was in ill health at the time, mm -hmm. and he knew who I was. And I had met him maybe once or twice. And, um, you know, it was it was as typical with these situations that I kind of mentioned before where the vulture starts circling and it gets bought for book value. And I, I remember going over on a Friday night and talking to him at his house <clears throat> in downtown Santa Barbara here. And, and there were some other people, you know, bidding, I guess you could call it, for the company. And we just saw eye to eye on a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And so I remember, you know, I remember coming home that night um, and talking with my wife saying, hey, you know what, we're going to buy McConnell's. And her going, are you out of your effing mind? And I was. I mean, I was. Like, it was not the best choice. Like, from a fi being financially responsible standpoint, th there are a lot of other things we could have done, like rebuild our house with that For insurance instance, money. Yeah. Um, but I really felt like it was a really special part of Santa Barbara. Yeah. And it was wrapped up in the history of Santa Barbara. And um, it was a great product. And I knew there would be challenges. But I also felt like, hey, this is something we could do for a while and we'll kind of figure it out. Mm -hmm. And which is never the way to get involved in a business, by the way. I would not, for those who are listening. It's not how you get married. Yeah, it's not how you yeah. start a business. Don't, don't say, hey, we'll work it out. Like <laughs> have some idea of your moves mm -hmm. ahead of time, hopefully. But then, you know, the message there is like, you never know how things are going to, yeah. so you either have faith and you jump in and hold your nose or you don't. And so in our case, we did, we jumped in and um, I mean, look, I think we're really proud of what we've done. Mm -hmm. It's, I will tell you as someone who worked in the branding business for a long time, it's, it's a good deal more challenging to take a brand that's been chugging along for almost 70 years and kind of turn it on its axis and go yeah. in a different direction or modify that direction than it is to originate a brand from zero because you're dealing with these preconceived notions of what it should be and customers who have a who have a, a certain zest for it or have a certain opinion about it or a very strong opinion about it and hesitant um, to anything new yeah I'm and sure. so and so we were really careful to listen to people and uh, and and we were careful to, to how we sort of shepherded the brand forward and what we did with the product and we never skimped and. We just kind of we just kind of did what we say we would do. Mm -hmm. We said we would do, and um, and you know, little by little, we knew we couldn't grow it rapidly like some of these other companies out there because you know we don't have untold millions. But yeah. we thought you know we'll do it slowly and see what happens. And and I can't believe it's been as long as it's been. I mean, it's just nuts. What's the what's the division of labor between you and Eva? I mean, it sure helps to be married to a chef. I mean, to go into business like <laughs> yeah. this with a chef, although is was ice cream ever anything she had She doesn't even with? have a sweet, sweet tooth. I mean, she yeah. doesn't like sweets. I do. Yeah. Um, she's, you know, fresh off the boat from Sweden, right? She came here when she was a girl. 
And um, she, uh, she, I think it's actually that she doesn't really like sweets mm -hmm. um, and, and was never a big fan of ice cream um, that has been sort of the secret sauce for her. Yeah. Because she uses less sugar than a lot of the brands. And she's very, she's driven by flavors and combinations. And she's got a very, I mean, she's got a great palate, I have to say. And she's very rigorous in her process. She's very Swedish yeah. in her process. And um, and I'm sort of the uh, crazy one out there, kind of coming up with ideas a lot of the time, uh, for better or for worse. Mm -hmm. And she kind of holds it together on the food side. And then and then she's been able to bring on people who are just very talented to yeah. work with her, like our 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 the spouse of our daughter-in-law who works with us, who um, is our pastry chef. And um, she's great. And um, it's just the division of labor to answer your question is that, you know, I'm on the marketing, branding, yeah. you know, operation side, although Eva has taken in the last year during COVID a much stronger role in operations. We've had some shifts in the in the company mm -hmm. in that respect. Um, and she's doing the food and a lot of that development. And and now as we kind of go into some new directions, she's really leading the charge there as well. Let's take a quick detour here to talk about another consumed supporter. Slow Food Co-op's mission is to empower health and well-being in the community by providing quality groceries, local produce, and exceptional customer service. Slow Food Co-op sources from local producers, ensuring they offer their shoppers great food and household staples. Slow Food Co-op is your friendly neighborhood grocer, maintaining non-GMO standards and a variety of organic selections. You can find Slow's only community-owned grocery store and their website at slowfood.coop and visit the Slow Food Co-op in-store at 2494 Victoria Avenue in San Luis Obispo, California. Well, it sounds like, a, I think you've said it a couple times, that one of the hardest parts of doing this has been taking a legacy brand and, you know, making friends with the folks who love it already, mm -hmm. developing new friends, um, telling the story, I'm sure, is complicated when it's like not, you're, you're not, your right. last name is not McConnell. True. I'm changing it, but yes, that's true. <laughs> Michael McConnell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I've had people say, is that your name? I'm like, oh God, thank you not. Well, because that, <laughs> that, that story would be simpler, yeah. you know, if you're like, yep, Most it definitely. was granddad started it, whatever. Yeah. Um, but tell me some <clears throat> of the things that make McConnell's, I mean, a, a question that I ask and I, I always hope it doesn't offend. Um, one question is for any brand, like, well, you do branding and marketing. Why does McConnell's have to exist in the world? Like what makes <clears throat> it, what makes it necessary? Because obviously it has been necessary because it's lasted and people like it, but what makes it that way? From a products perspective or just from, just from a, yeah, I guess from a product's perspective, what niche does it fill that had other, you know, heretofore been well, unfilled? You know, ice cream's funny, right? And Lord knows I have not put a lot of thought into ice cream prior to owning McConnell's, and now I've put way too much thought into it. <laughs> <laughs> but ice cream's funny because it, first of all, demographically, you know, your your consumer is, you know, three to 90 something, right? Mm, right. So it's very broad. And it also is one of those few products and I'm not sure this answers your question as well as it could, but it answers it to some degree. Um, it's one of the few products, not just McConnell's, but ice cream that kind of hits you in your kid's spot. Yeah. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it, it satisfies this nostalgic urge or craving that you have 
Um, you know, many people, you know, remember getting ice cream when they were a kid with their grandparents or their parents or their brothers, sisters, cousins, mm-hmm. nieces, whatever. And in where they were, and it, in that in that sense, it really taps into sense memory. Even as you're saying it, I'm thinking about. It's true. I hadn't thought about that. It does hit in the kids' spot. It's almost yeah. like getting on a bicycle too. It's got that same like, <laughs> I'm free. It's summertime. I'm yeah. a child again. Yeah, and in California, look. One of the things we really tried early on to seize that Central California, California's finest, mm-hmm. um, um, sort of brand platform. Because, you know, we do make use of, like, long before Whole Foods talked about local, McConnell's was local. Yeah. And so there's that California um, uh, feel to our brand. But also, I think it's, it's special for any brand if you can, if you can own that to yeah. some degree. Um, but going back to why it needs to exist, I mean, I'm not so sure it does, to be fair. Um, I mean, I'm not the one that gets to decide that. So I think that there are very few things products that immediately bring smiles to people's faces and the world's a dark place sometimes mm-hmm. and i think that ice cream and especially great ice cream is one of those products and for our money um and all the effort that we put into it i think you know mcconnell's really knows who it is mm-hmm. if mcconnell's were a person like we know exactly who we are as a brand and um, and what we're not and so we really do tap into that mid-century, a time that was maybe a little bit simpler. Yeah. And nostalgia, but, and the difference between, say, vintage and old, I would say we're vintage, Yeah. you know? Um, <laughs> I, I hope other people listening think that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then we make a great product. Like, we don't skimp mm-hmm. where other brands skimp. We just don't, for better or for worse. Yeah. And so, as I said before, I mean, I think there's a... Best is, is really an opinion um, and in and in this category it's a function of a lot of different factors that would go into that opinion whether it's pricing or flavor profiles or brand or what that means um, but I really I do really think that there's there needs to be a place for the best in any category mm-hmm. of anything and 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 that's what we strive for like yeah. we are in a business that is not highly differentiated ice cream as opposed to you know, like a lower ordered good as opposed to a higher ordered good, a Ferrari being a higher ordered good, oh, ice cream being a lower ordered good. Yeah. Something you don't, something you go out of your way to purchase if you have that kind of cash versus something you don't. Got it. We really are driven by excellence and quality. Mm-hmm. And so in an undifferentiated market like ice cream, where a lot of people out there think ice cream is ice cream is ice cream, mm-hmm. like we just ignore that for better or for worse. Like we try to be driven by excellence and quality. Yeah. And there's a small percentage of the consumers out there who really get that. Mm-hmm. And I guess those are our consumers. And then everyone else who doesn't hopefully they think that way, it. but they still like it. And yes. they happen to bump out, to, uh, bump into us at where, some, where our store is or in the grocery aisle. Right. Or, yeah. Well, so um, one thing I don't think we've made totally clear is that the fact that you have the dairy, you really are from, you know, from udder to cone. I mean, yes. that the whole process is yeah. yours and that's very unusual it is it's crazy unusual actually so where yeah. is that dairy <laughs> so so originally it's where you're sitting now yeah so this building that we're in was built in 1934 and um at the time so santa barbara has this great history of agriculture and dairy farms going back to the 1800s and um at the time meaning 1934 there were about 10 family dairies in downtown santa barbara and this was the largest of them mm. and so this dairy cows were pastured in Montecito, which is just east of town, uh, 
and um, the milk and cream for this dairy's products were brought here. And this dairy's distribution area was all the way from like slow all the way down to San Fernando Valley. So cheese, mm -hmm. milk, ice cream, butter, you know, et cetera. <clears throat> um, what happened was this, when we came on, this dairy really was built in 1934 again, wasn't really doing what it needed to do, certainly for to scale the business and make yeah. it bigger, which was certainly one of our intentions. But also when you're in, a, we had to make a big decision, which was, does McConnell's, McConnell's history and its legacy is as a manufacturer. Mm -hmm. And 99% of companies, even our closest competitors, are not manufactured. They, they do what's called co-packing. Mm -hmm. So which means they come to a, a company like McConnell's and we make their product for them and they essentially brand it and package it and sell it as their own. Okay. That's the food business in case those of you who are listening don't know. I mean, I yeah. I don't always yeah. know that. Yeah. So 90% plus are co-packed products. Okay. I don't care if you're making chips or ice cream or what have you. Our history was as a manufacturer owning this dairy. And so we had to make a decision early on, are we going to stay a manufacturer or just co-pack it and really lean into the brand, the brand and the marketing, which is really what people, most people want to do. Because yeah. the complications associated with running the dairy are vast mm -hmm. and costly. So like, why yeah. not let the big company do it for us and we'll just put our, you know, our, yep. our label on the exactly. Okay. And, and or Yeah, exactly. And so we made this fateful decision early on to remain a manufacturer. But the other thing we came to realize, and because you know we had no background in dairy, we've learned it, is that when you're a manufacturer in food these days, you're you're less in the food business than you are in the food safety business. Wow, really? And, yeah, and and when you're in the dairy business, you're really in the food safety mm -hmm. business <laughs> because. There are things in dairy, particularly raw milk and cream, that will kill people. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you have a compromised immune system, which I do, um, or are older or uh, you know not in great health, there's stuff like listeria we've all heard of yeah. and other things that are not good for your system. And, and so you need to be incredibly rigorous if you're going to be willing to be a manufacturer to embrace all the things that go along with being a manufacturer. And so you need to be in the food business. And the simple truth at the time, um, at, in the first few years of owning McCall's, was that this was a building that not only would not allow us to scale, but it really wasn't built to do what we were asking it to do. In, especially in terms of food safety. In terms of food safety, yeah. in terms of scale, in, term, in terms of you name it. And so we had to make a decision in about 2015, 16, well, Again, are we going to stay a manufacturer or are we going to co-pack? And we, again, decided to remain a manufacturer. And so we built a brand new facility. And people do not build new dairy facilities in California anymore. It's not hmm. advisable. But we built a new dairy facility in Oxnard, about 35 minutes east of here, hmm. southeast of here. And so that's where McConnell's is now. And that this is called the old dairy. That's called the new dairy. Okay. Hmm, strange that. <laughs> um, and so that's about a 35,000 square foot facility. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that many people don't know, they say, well, you're a dairy, where are the cows? So the I quick, admit I was yeah. going to ask you. So that's the next question you were going to ask. <laughs> so, so in California, the other thing that happened in the mid-century onwards is that land prices, particularly on the coast, skyrocketed. Mm -hmm. And on or about the mid to late 60s, that people really were feeling that. And so around that time, again, you know, mid, let's call it late 60s, unless you were one of the big industrialized dairies, and there still are a few in Southern California, most of the family high-end family dairies moved above the Golden Gate Bridge to yeah. Marshall and Petaluma and areas like that. Yeah. And, um, and so, <clears throat> 
at that point, uh, the people that own this dairy made a decision, which was you're either going to remain a dairy farming farming company and processing, or you're going to be a dairy processing company. Mm-hmm. And the simple truth about the dairy farming business is that it's it's um, commoditized, it's expensive, mm-hmm. it is really more about animal husbandry and about getting a cow's tail across your face at 4 a.m. than it is about you know getting out there into market and selling your products, um, unless it's very, very, very hyper-local. <clears throat> um, and, and McConnell's at that at that juncture decided to be a dairy processing yeah. facility. And so we take in the milk stream, milk and cream, the raw milk and cream, and then we process it into our products. Okay. We no longer own cows. All those cows are up north towards Slow and Paso and inland from there. Are they really? Yeah. Interesting. <clears throat> so how do you, I, gosh, I'm really learning how, so it's how little it, I know. It's co-ops and then we get the milk through those various companies and that collect that milk. And how do you get it here? Tankers. Okay. Yeah, or totes, depending on how much we're, you know, product we're making at the time i just you know it's refrigerated funny. every time i talk to somebody an expert obviously in their field the further in the further i scratch the surface the more i realize i don't have a clue how this yeah. stuff is made well milk you know in the old days milk was raw milk and you'd get it from a local farm and you'd drink raw milk and that was the way it is and again going back to your your whole uh, thing about the industrial industrial mm-hmm. food complex i mean that's not the way the food business is anymore no like unless i'm sure there are still family farms you know, all around this country where people have their own few cows and they get their cream and milk from those cows and they go on their merry way and do what they do. Mm-hmm. And that's great. And unfortunately, certain certain bodies have made the the consumption of raw milk seem like you're, you know, you know, killing baby animals. Yeah. When in fact, that's not true at all. I mean, there is, there's absolutely some health risk to it. But, you know, I, I think, I think that Marginal, probably, depending upon the loca- the you know how local um, uh, um, those cows are to you, where you are, where you're consuming those products. Yeah. Um, I think you know there's a, people always want to uh, they always want to point fingers, mm-hmm. you know. And I don't I think there it, it's nice to see that there are dairies now that are producing you know raw milk and cream again, yeah. and that the laws have changed. And I'm not advocating for our, our entire system to be you know raw. But I mean, I think it's it's a valuable no- other component of yeah. the system for sure. As far as numbers <laughs> go, so how many about how many employees do you have then? So if you are you including the dairy or the stores? T- I guess or both or both. Yeah, I, maybe two hundred. Okay, so maybe. it's still a pretty lean operation. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say at the dairy, there's probably thirty people. Yeah. Yeah, it's not a big. Com- we're a small company. Yeah. I mean, people think we're bigger than we are. We are teeny. What's are, the farthest you you ship, and where where is uh, the to farthest? New York, to New York, to get. coast to coast. Okay, but you know you have to remember that just because we're a national brand doesn't mean we're sold everywhere. Because mm-hmm. you know there's a lot of people out there. A lot of people just aren't going to buy you know eight dollar, nine dollar pints of ice cream. Right. So it's kind of where you expect. It's the coasts mm-hmm. and Florida and Texas and the Pacific Northwest down to here and mm-hmm. you know Chicago places like that. Yeah. Um, and that's not to defame other great places to live, but that's kind of where of course, we get best yeah. distribution. Yeah. And we don't we control so little of that. I mean, I wish we were everywhere, but mm. that's hard. What about yeah. scoop shops? How many do you have? So we have we're going on seven right now. Going on? Yeah. Where's the seventh one? Uh, it hasn't been announced yet, so oh, I can't announce right. it yet. But it's 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 Southern California. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. Awesome. So there's two in uh, in Santa Barbara, and there's one in Slow, right. and then we have a few in, a handful in LA. Okay. Yeah. What is it like to own a company where this is going to be, sound like the dumbest question where the thing <laughs> melts? So 
among the many things it's so fragile yeah that we've learned is that and and i was i was really ignorant dare i say stupid at the beginning because you know people said to me more than once if you can make it in the ice cream business you can make it in anything Mm. and i was like yeah sure whatever okay uh they were right Mm. i mean it is a very challenging product to distribute to market to make etc i'm it is heavy it's frozen, it's highly perishable. We don't stabilize our ice cream, so it's susceptible to heat shock and things like that that we have nothing to do with it once it leaves the dairy. Right. Oh, scary. If it, yeah, if it if it thaws and then refreezes on some dock somewhere at some grocery store. So yeah, it is it is very challenging. And it's been also an incredible uh, education mm-hmm. because like you said before, you know, we're a vertically integrated, we're a very small but vertically integrated company for the most part. And um, so you touch so many different people and businesses and from you know obviously sourcing ingredients to manufacturing to wholesale to retail you name it um mm-hmm. so for a small company we're very complicated yeah um um but it it is challenging the ice cream business is tough yeah you know there's no question about it i never set started saying that until at least four or five years in when you really realize it's a challenging it's business touchy it's a touchy yeah. product it's it tough. has to be perfect conditions for it to be even just good. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and you get fingers pointed at you if it's not. And you're like, wait a second. And you own it, and then you try to make it better. Yeah. We try not to ever, you know, make apologies for that. Uh, or excuse me, we always try to apologize for that because there's no there's no gut good that comes out of fighting. Like, it wasn't us. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you know? Can't win, yeah. Yeah, so look, we just keep trying to get better. And you know, the new dairy was a big part of getting the product a lot more um, consistent. Yeah. And uh, it helps us out a lot, but still, if your products are distributed in Texas in the midsummer, it, it's a challenge. Yeah, no question about it. What's something that you, um, you know, I, I could take all day with you talking <laughs> about all these different things, but what's something outside of ice cream <clears throat> that you want to do accomplish in your life? Oh my! I know, um, just a little light question for yeah, you. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a person of of many interests. Yeah, and. Um, I mean, there's many things I would do. I want to continue with my wine business. Um, I what is I want to sleep. Sleep would be great. (laughs) Is that a yeah? I would like to go. I would like you know, (laughs) given the lack of sleep over the last decade or or so. um, Yes, that is a full scale project. I mean, I would like to go on a vacation someday. Mm. Um, Look, there's it's hard to be put on the spot, but there I. You know, I wouldn't mind, strangely enough, getting back to writing a little bit. I know. See, we uh, talked about writing yeah. before I push play. Yeah. I, I, you know, back when I did it for a living, I didn't want to be pushed into it. But in retrospect, it was something that I love to do mm-hmm. um, and maybe for myself as much as other people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, there, look, there are so many things I want to do, yeah. you know. Um, so I want to build an old car. There's a yeah. lot of things I want to do. Yeah. I want I, to travel. I'd love to travel yeah. someday. I want yeah. to write a book. I, it's like it's been on my mind so much lately. I've talked about it for years, but in the past month or so, it's just been like an everyday thing. Um, I just, do you ever feel compelled to write a book, especially about the ice cream business? You totally um, could. So we've been approached a bunch of times now. And, you know, it's all, we have a small company and it's mm-hmm. all I can do. And I, I think I'd be the one drafted to write it. Of course. And so I just don't, you know, most, if not all, of our competitors I'm thinking of have a book or two, mm. and you know I, I find them mildly compelling at best. Uh, I think we have an amazing story to tell, mm-hmm. and I think someday there's a book there. 
I just have to find the bandwidth. Yeah. You know, I mean, there is a food book I want to I want to do that. Um, I have a very close friend named Eric Wolfinger, who's a big food photographer yeah. uh, out of San Francisco, uh, and he's moving to San Diego shortly. And uh, we've talked about a book idea that really involves travel yeah. as much as food, mm-hmm. um, and which he has done a lot of, and I've done unfortunately less less of. Um, uh, so we've talked about that, but you know, something has to shake loose for me to get the opportunity to do that. Probably. I know what you mean. Um, so, and it will at some point, I mean, I'm still in decent health, even though I'm 95 years old. <laughs> you look great for 95. Yeah. Good yeah, job. It's, uh, I'm working on it, you know? Aww. So. <laughs> well, it sounds like the, um, seventh scoop shop is the next logical step forward in terms of um, you know, new new ice cream related projects. Yeah, I mean, we have we have again we have these competitors who have scoop shops all over the place, and they're just like, just it's insane how many they roll out. And that was never our aim. We want to build shops more opportunistically in places where we where we think will really kind of create some critical mass. Yeah, and and where it's a genuine add to the community. Mm-hmm. Um, so. So that's the driver for us on that front because, you know, that's just more management. Yeah. And it's really not our model to roll out 100 scoop shops. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the one one of the good things about not being owned by some financial institution is that there's no uh, ticking clock because a lot of the point of private equity investment is to is to build market share to a point, let's say three to five years, six years, and then sell the company yeah. to the next company. And so that's not the timetable you're on. No, we that I remember early on um, when we asked each other, well, what's our goal? We both said our goal is to have choices. Hmm. And um, hmm. sometimes that's good. And sometimes that's the wrong answer. Sometimes you should have a specific exit, for lack of a better term, yeah. in mind. In our case, it just wasn't what we intended to do. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you never know what's going to be around the next turn. Yeah. Um, and it's hard work, but you know, it's gratifying work too. Yeah. You know? When you sell this ice cream, it just occurred to me, I mean, here we are sitting in this beautiful room, just, you know, I'm looking at trumpet vines. This is just <laughs> so Santa Barbara. How much of the brand is Santa Barbara? How much of the brand does Santa Barbara take up in terms of like when you sell a pint of ice cream mm-hmm. in New York? 100% the person who's buying it is aware that it's from here, right? I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, certainly when we... You're so, selling a feeling. <clears throat> this place yeah. is so full of feeling. People have very strong, yeah. you know, it's very evocative for a lot of people. I mean, good and bad, I'm sure. I'm, I'm thinking mostly think. good. <laughs> okay, that's nice to know. I mean, look... People I, vacation here. Yeah, they do. And, you know, entertainment industry comes up here. Yeah. yeah. Look, I, I, <clears throat> I will say this. Um, not to defame anyone because I love them all, but they re- the 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 family that owned it, the McCoys who owned it before us, they were concerned with different things than we were. Mm-hmm. And so McConnell's, in my opinion, wasn't the most attractive product on the shelves when we first came in. And one of the things that we really tried to do was make it seem of a place and of an era, mm-hmm. and and because that because that's what the product's about, right? It, stuff we've already covered. Yeah. And so, and, and try to make the packaging be the sort of, um, the just like our stores are the architectural, uh, you know, uh, uh, sort of personification of the brand, yeah. um, if that's the right word, the packaging should be the packaged personification of the right. brand. And so, and there's a, there's a continuity there and a through line there. And um, so, on the package, on the front panel, it says Santa Barbara, yeah. California, and 
And we are Santa Barbara. I mean, mm -hmm. we, we were born here as a brand in 1949. Um, we remain here. Our, this is our corporate office. We don't make it here anymore. We make it 30, 35 minutes away. But that was more a matter of pra you know, pragmatism. Um, I think it's important. It's important to us. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. it's an identifier. And, you know, there's not many places, particularly ice cream. And wine is one thing because people talk about the term yeah. terroir, right? right? It's of a place. Um, and, and certainly there are very few com consumer packaged goods that are of a place. Yep. It's and, true. and this product has always been local to Santa Barbara. Mm -hmm. Our milk and cream comes within, I don't know, 100 miles of here. Um, you know, 95% of our ingredients come are from a local source, mm -hmm. not chocolate, which is from 10% plus minus the equator, but most of the products we use, whether it's nuts or fruit or what have you. Mm -hmm. um, and that's been the tradition of this company forever. Mm -hmm. um, there's a puppy screaming. <laughs> um, that's what that was for those of you who are listening. Um, that was not her. Um, so so I, think it, I think it is of a place. And look, Santa Barbara is really special to us. We live here. Yeah. And I, 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 it's hard for me to know what other people who aren't from here who pick up that package think. Yeah. But but we know what we wanted people to think. Mm -hmm. And um and we wanted it to be we wanted them to think in sort of um in in sort of uh uh abstract terms what what about the product inside that that container as well as uh, in concrete terms about what that meant Santa Barbara and and we want to evoke that time and that place where our brand came from right you know what it is today still yeah. yeah i think it's successful at that for sure let me ask you my last question that i always ask everybody if it were your last day on earth i know i these, these heavy questions. questions i'm sorry maybe it is my last day on earth i mean well, let's maybe the big not. one's coming well but if it is your last day you'll be so <laughs> glad you thought about this maybe. so um what would be your final meal, you know, in terms of celebrating a, a life well lived? So, and, could, and is it drinking, a place or and a, who's there? Is it a food stuff or is it a place too? It can be all of those things. So that's really Tell easy me your for day, me. Your so, so we don't get to travel a lot, my wife and myself. But um, in the summer, she's from Sweden again, and um, and in the summer of 2016 we went to Scandinavia for about three and a half weeks. Bucket list for me. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, me too, and I've already been there. And um, and we spent an evening, we spent a night um, on this 25, 30,000 acre ranch, about five hour drive from Stockholm uh, at a restaurant um, that is no longer in existence, unfortunately, mm -hmm. called Favikin. Um, the chef's name is Magnus Nielsen. Oh, of course. Yeah, and and so he had this restaurant that he you know he came there. Um, he had a a career in in France, and he moved back to Sweden and opened Favikin on this ranch. There was already a restaurant there, but he completely uh, uh, sort of uh, not just restored, but sort of reinvigorated and re and redefined what it was. And pretty out in the middle of nowhere. In right? the middle of nowhere, yeah, yeah. and it is the most beautiful part of that country there are these mm. massive lakes everywhere and it's right on the border of norway and it's just gorgeous you look up at these mountains and the food was and the and everything about the experience it wasn't just the food which is why this is that sort of the bucket list mm -hmm. last meal last day on earth uh, answer everything about the experience was so special we were there with with two of our best friends and we stayed over, as I've already mentioned, and it was just perfect. Mm. You know, this place, you know, it was summer, so the sun barely goes down for more than an hour or so. So we took these walks out in the middle of the night and 
and the food was just unbelievable. Yeah. And you know, notwithstanding the fact that Favikin at the time was always on a list of top 50 or top right. 100 in the world, which was you know significant relative to us wanting to go there. But I mean, it was just of those restaurants on that, let's call it that top list, which is you know arbitrary, mm-hmm. um, we went to several of them. But this particular experience was just stunning. And it's so it's sad. I mean, I understand that Magnus Nielsen wants to go off and do other things with his life. Mm-hmm. But this was a very special time and place in the world of food. And for me personally, just was an incredible experience. That's fantastic. So I would go there again. Yeah, I'm thinking I want to go there and then, too. And then when the comet or asteroid hit the Earth, I'd be re- just downing that last <laughs> bit of something from his kitchen. Oh, I love <laughs> yeah. it. So that's what I would do. Well, Magnus, when when Michael's ready to go, you'll you'll have to be on call. I, I hope so. I hope so. I, I don't know what he's doing right now, but he's a genius. He's raising a family. He's I'm also a sure. great writer, by the way. He, he's raising a family. He's got an orchard. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has a farm near. He came from that area where Favakin is, and so he's got an, a, a farm now. I think that he's that he's kind of restoring. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, um, if he hears this, in the unlikely event he hears this, please right. reach out to me, Magnus, because <laughs> I'm I'm on my way. <laughs> I'm so glad you took over McConnell's. We all appreciate it up in slow for sure. And I Thank know you. Santa Barbara's do too. And I wish you all the best. Yeah. we. You know what? That store is, I think, the cutest of all of our stores. The slow I, store? Yeah. I love that store. We, um, The guy who built it was, was an awesome guy, this guy, Paul. And um, it's just a great building and a great space. And it's so nice to have a store at, at a place where, you know, a lot of the people who originally came to McConnell's to the old dairy came out of the dairy school at right. at, at Cal Poly. Right. So to have a place, you know, close to our origins was is really amazing. That makes sense. So yeah, I, I love Slow. I think it's it's getting nothing but better every, yeah. all the time. So. Well, come on up. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks thank very you. Much. Thank you for listening to Consumed. It means a lot to see how the podcast has grown in 100 episodes, and it's all thanks to you listeners. The podcast is edited by me this time around because Chris Lambert is amazing and busy with other very important stuff, but he's still forever part of the Consumed family. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review and share with all your buddies. Okay, until next time, I'm Jamie Lewis. Bye.